Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen the tomb was empty. Hallelujah. You guys are the first ones to get that without practice. Good job. Well, here's the thing, though. The tomb wasn't actually empty. I mean, if we listen closely to the gospel, the tomb wasn't empty. Follow along. So Mary Magdalene, she shows up. So we've got to understand how the tombs would work. So people were buried in caves. Rich people were buried in caves. So they'd been the mouth of the cave here. And then they'd have built some, like dug some steps down. And then there's the opening to like the tomb itself. And that's where the stone would have been. So this is, this is where the stone is. And then inside is like this antechamber. And then there's these different niches inside where the bodies would have been laid out. So Mary Magdalene, she comes to the mouth of the cave. She looks down. She sees that the door is open. That's not good. She runs and tells the disciples. She just thinks that the tomb is empty. Jesus is gone. She's freaking out. So the apostles start booking it, Peter, Peter and, and John, and think of this too, you know, you're running together, you'd think like, hey, this is, this is kind of exciting, huh? We're going to go and see if, uh, if Jesus is really there or not. You know, what's, what's Mary Magdalene talking about? I don't, I don't know if this is exciting. No, no, no. John is just like, I don't have time to wait for you. And he books it. He's just out of his mind. He's like, I got I to gotta check this out and, and get there. He comes to his, his senses as he gets there. He's like, okay, I'm going to wait for Peter. But he gets down and he, he looks into the tomb and he sees, not an empty tomb, he sees something. He sees the burial cloth. And we hear this again and again. He sees the burial cloth. Peter comes in. Peter looks. Peter goes into the tomb. He sees the burial cloths. Then John enters into the tomb. He sees the the burial cloths, and it says he sees and he believes. Now, there's something interesting happening in the Greek because where we get in the English, three words that are exactly the same, he saw, he saw, he saw. Actually, in the Greek, there's three different words used there. And it's loosely translated something like this. You could say, John gets there, and he's like, oh, there's burial cloths. He sees them. Peter goes in, and he sees them. And then John goes in, and he sees it. It's kind of the progression of anybody's kind of uh, conversion. We start to, we start to see something. I, I see that people talk about the resurrection. Then we see it. I'm going to start seeing it. I'm going to start examining it. And then at one point we go, oh, I see it. And then once you've seen it, it's hard not to see it. And this is what happens. They see the burial cloth and then they're like, where is, where is he at? He's somewhere. Jesus is somewhere. Where, where is he going to be? And their lives are transformed. And eventually they'll, they'll give their lives for the Lord. And there's something, there's something interesting about this, this cloth, this burial cloth. So, so some scholars will say this is the shroud, right? The shroud of Turin. We've all heard of the shroud of Turin. It's that, you know, beautiful medieval painting of Jesus from Turin. Well, except that it's not actually from Turin. It's only been in Turin for the last 700 years or so. It's also not a painting. I don't know if you knew that or not, but scientists have studied this again and again and again and again, and it's not a painting. It's not, it's not blood mark of Jesus' image. And let's be honest about it. If you've seen it, it's not beautiful. It's not a beautiful piece of art. If it's, a, if it's a piece of art from the Middle Ages, it's a really lousy piece of art. The Shroud of Turin has actually been studied 
by more scientists than any other artifact in human history. Not religious artifact, any other artifact, period. The Shroud of Turin. Started over 100 years ago when a photographer, this is the early in photography, takes a picture of it. He's developing the picture. This is back on 35 millimeter film. You kids don't remember this, but you had to get get your film as a negative image. And so everything was like backwards. The lights were darks and the whites were black and it was real weird looking. So he's he's developing the, the film and he sees on the negative a positive image. Like what? So the thing on the shroud was actually the negative image. The thing on the shroud was like the 35 millimeter film that needs to get turned into a photograph. He doesn't know how this happened. Nobody does. That started people's curiosity. We started experimenting and studying and looking into it. And you know what? Nobody can figure it out. In 1978, a team of scientists, atheists, Jews, Christians, they all start studying it. I mean, you got, people, you, got, you got physicists and forensics and biologists and chemists, and they're all looking at this thing. They thought they were going to go in and be like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a painting, and we've looked, and, this, and then we, saw, we see how it works, and they're like, we, we actually don't know how it, we don't know what it is. It's not paint. It's not vapor. It's not a burning. It's not an etching. It's not a dye. We don't know what it is, but it's not any of those things that we thought that it would be, and it's not any of those things that somebody would have been able to do in the 1300s. And think about that. It's a negative image. Photography doesn't come on the scene for another 500 plus years. So even if some artist figured out some way to put some image onto this piece of cloth that we haven't figured out yet, how would he think to do it in a negative image that's something only photography does? And so the scientists are left just scratching their heads. Now, for the believer, for the one who loves Jesus, it's just one more thing that points to the fact that he died and rose. However, the skeptic, they'll remain skeptical because for the skeptic, nothing proves anything. But even for the skeptics, you know what they get to? At the end of the day, they say, well, it's not this, it's not that, it's not the other thing. We don't know what it is, but it's obviously not a miracle because miracles are impossible. Oh, okay. But for the believer, it points to something. This is the interesting thing. Most of our life, most of the things that we believe, most of the things we know with certainty and clarity, we don't actually know. They've not been proven. There's just enough things pointing to them that we say, you know what? I'd I'd actually be irrational to assume that this isn't the case. This is the the case with sciences. This is the case with with our faith. St. John Henry Newman, 100 years ago, he was was investigating the Catholic Church. He was was an Anglican priest, very well-known scholar, professor, preacher. He started reading the old early church, early church fathers. He started seeing things that are just pointing to Catholicism. He said, oh, that's, that's awkward. 
but you know, it's just, it's just one thing. It's just one thing pointing like to, to the church being the true church and not the Anglican church being the true church. And so he's okay, not, not a big deal. But then he found another thing and 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 none of them by themselves is enough to say, yeah, I'm gonna become Catholic. But when everything is pointing to the same thing, when everything's pointing in the same direction, you'd be a fool not to walk in that direction. And so he became Catholic. And a number of years ago was canonized a saint by Pope Benedict. And this is what he calls the convergence of probabilities. Yeah, nothing, nothing proves this without a shadow of a doubt. But there's enough probability that puts a lot of weight on that scale. So the scientists, even the skeptics, they're left scratching their head. We don't know what this shroud thing is. We'd like, to, we'd like to just say it's a medieval thing and we do have a carbon-14 testing that was done back in the 80s that says it was, it was from the 1300s, give or take, except that there was another study done just a few years ago that actually proved that that study was done in a faulty way and they threw that out and the journal that originally published that said, no, we're not taking that anymore. But that makes them feel really uncomfortable because miracles are impossible. Well, I don't think miracles are impossible. So I want to tell you what I think. There was one scientist a decade or two ago, I think, and he said, okay, there's a negative image here. So maybe there was a blast of light. And let's see if we can reproduce this, some sort of light that leaves an image on a piece of linen in the same sort of way that this is left on this piece of shroud, this, this shroud, this linen. And he, he found and he proved that this is actually possible. With enough light, you can leave an image onto even a non-photographic, photosensitive uh, piece of material. It's a lot of light though. It's like six billion watts. And the, 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 um, the duration of the light has to be so monitored because otherwise you're going to incinerate whatever you're trying to leave an image on. And so it's six billion watts for 40 billionth of a second and you can leave an image on something. Well, I mean, the problem is, is that we don't even have enough lasers in the world to duplicate this on the size of a full body. So they certainly didn't have enough lasers back in the 1300s. But what I know about God, what you know about God, this seems to be really, really in character with what God does and has done. The very beginning, very beginning of time, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And I don't think that it was a slow fade, like, let there be light. No, 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 I think it was an explosion. <clears throat> There's light. Remember when Jesus goes up on Mount Tabor, and then all of a sudden his apostles are there chilling, and then all of a sudden, <clears throat> light just flies out of him. They fall on their faces, they're so afraid. Well, that's what, that's what John said. He's the light of the world. It's not a 60-watt light, light bulb. He's light. And so 
if that's what God has done and tends to do, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be perfectly reasonable to think that when he brings Jesus back from the dead, that somehow light is involved? That when his soul returns to his body shrouded in this linen cloth, that there's a flash of light that leaves his image embedded on it for the next 2,000 years? I think it's, I think it's quite plausible. And there's enough other things pointing in that direction that I'm quite willing to hold on to that. Now let's go back to Peter and John in the tomb. Why are they so enamored by this cloth? They see and they believe. Well, John was there, right? John was there the day before, two days before. He was there. He wrapped Jesus in the shroud. He laid, them, he laid him in that niche. They show up. Peter wasn't there. Peter goes in. He's looking around. He's like, are you sure this is the right tomb? Sounds like, yeah, yeah, I was, I was there. You weren't there. I know, I know. Just, let's, not, let's not go there. It's like he it was right here. And, and John's looking at the shroud. He's looking at this cloth that he had laid, wrapped our Lord in. He was wrapped in it. It's not something that you just like throw off like your bed sheets. Remember Lazarus when he came back, when Jesus raised him from the dead? He comes hobbling out of the tomb and Jesus says, hey, untie him and let him go because he's all wrapped up. Jesus is all wrapped up. There's, there's, there's herbs and incenses and aloes and stuff on top of the, the shroud. And it's all still right there. It's all intact. It's all sitting right there just where he left it. The only thing that's different is that Jesus' body isn't there anymore. That's why it's so interesting that the tomb isn't empty. And brothers and sisters, I don't really care if the shroud is real or not. I happen to think there's very convincing evidence that it is. But my faith is not in the shroud. My faith is in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and he's proven that in a myriad of different ways. My faith is in the fact that I know him. He showed his love to me. Those of you who believe, you know him. You've experienced him. There's enough evidence, the evidence of the apostles alone, that 11 men went to their death to defend the fact that they saw this guy risen from the dead. People don't go to their death for a lie. People don't go to their death for a fancy. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be nice? Jesus is alive in my heart. They don't go to their death for that. And it wasn't just that 11 men 2,000 years did that. It's that men and women through the centuries have done that and continue to do that. Because they're men and women who have fallen in love with Jesus and know the power of the resurrection in their own lives. My brothers and sisters, if we haven't experienced that power in our own lives, the, the power that can imprint an image onto a cloth, the power that can transform the lives of ragtag fishermen and tax collectors into diehard martyrs, then we need to pray and ask for that 
now, today, here. Ask the Lord to reveal himself to us again. Because the true shroud is you and me. The true shroud is Christians who have been imprinted by the love of Jesus, by his passion and death and resurrection that were his witnesses in the world. And the difference between a bad Christian and a good Christian is the bad Christian's like the shroud that just covers the body of Jesus so that you can't see Christ. And a good Christian is the one that the shroud has the image of Christ imprinted on it for all the world to see standing as one more proof of the power of the resurrection. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The opening prayer, the last line was that we may rise to the light of life. May the Lord re-enkindle in us the light that he gave us at our baptism that we may set the world ablaze.